If you've been here all four weeks, you know we started with the apostles' teaching, that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, that they recognized that Jesus said that, that you will receive power from on high and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and the other ends of the earth, and that the power that they were going to receive in the form of the Holy Spirit was going to empower them to bring the message of Christ to the nations, to the whole world. And we're here today because of that. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, not just the law and the prophets, not just the Old Testament, but to the new revelation, the fresh bread that the apostles, that those who had been with Christ and who were sent by Christ into the world had for the world. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were also devoted to the fellowship. Way beyond cookies and coffee, they were devoted to the community, to the believers. They shared everything in common. They sold the land and the possessions that they had to make sure that everybody had what they needed. They were devoted in an uncommon way to the fellowship of the believers. Last week we looked at this idea that they were devoted to the breaking of bread, to the Last Supper, to communion. They were devoted. It became increasingly dangerous for them to maintain their devotion to each other, to the teaching, to the breaking of bread. And so they became increasingly devoted to prayer. And that's what we're going to focus on today is this idea that they were devoted to prayer. Now, next week, we're starting a new series. That new series is titled Better Than Ever. Better Than Ever. And it's going to be a study on the book of Hebrews. We're going to spend eight weeks walking through the book of Hebrews. And I want to encourage you to read the book of Hebrews this week. There's 13 chapters, so you could break that up however you choose to do so. You could read a chapter in the morning, a chapter at night, however you choose to do it. I want to encourage you to read the book of Hebrews, and I want you to underline if you write in your Bible. It's okay. I write in my Bible. I've never been struck down. Um, Write in your Bible. Underline anywhere that it says that Jesus is better than or superior to anything. Make note of that and circle that. And then we're going to go through this study and we're going to look at eight different things that we're told in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is better than or that what Jesus came to bring is better than anything that had come before. And I, I'm very, very excited. I always tell uh, when, when an, another pastor asked me, what, what are you preaching on or what do you think you should preach on as a preacher? I said, well, figure out what's blowing up inside of your heart and preach that, because that's the best stuff that you can preach, is what God is, is preaching to you and what God is revealing to you. So I'm excited about that series. Uh, invite somebody to come with you. That's a perfect example of, of looking for an opportunity to invite. Say, hey, we got a new sermon series. You won't have to catch up. You won't be behind on anything. Come and, and come and attend my church for this sermon series. And then they'll be in the habit of it at the end of that, and they'll just be a part of Linwood. So that'll be wonderful. So back to devoted and back to the four things that they were devoted to and, and sort of what we've been learning that, that Christianity is not Judaism 2.0. It's not just a, a repackaged re-release of Judaism. It's something new. It's something fresh. It's something uh, different. There's a new covenant that comes in and that Jesus' desire for you is not just a slightly improved version of yourself but a new creation. We're told that we are to be a new creation in Christ. The old has gone away. The new has come. And last week's bottom line was focused on this idea of communion, but it wrapped a number of things together that we've been studying. That Jesus came and he said to his disciples at the Last Supper, I've eagerly desired to have this Passover meal with you. 
And then he introduces a new covenant. It's different from the old covenant. The old covenant was man seeking to restore a vertical relationship with God through sacrifices like goats and bulls and those types of things and acts of penance. He said, the new covenant is paid for in my blood, which is poured out for you. It's a new, it's a paradigm-shifting concept. And he's saying from now on, one sacrifice for all people, for all time. You put your faith and your trust and your hope in that and that alone, and you are now right with God so that you can be right with the people around you, so that you can be right in your vertical relationship with God and in your horizontal relationships with each other as is pictured in the cross of Jesus Christ, vertical and horizontal. And so the Lord's Supper then became one of the central elements of this new church, this thing that wasn't even called a church for a long time. It was called a gathering or, or the way. You'll hear it if you read through the book of Acts. You'll, you'll hear about this way or, or this new sect. And this, the disciples were teaching on the Lord's Supper. Paul teaches about it in the book of Corinthians as a letter that he wrote to the church. He was an apostle, so there's the apostles' teaching. And you see the fellowship of that meal and how important that was to them. And so right in there, you see all three of the things that we were studying. And the bottom line idea last week was that fellowship is not just about intimacy with Christ. It's also about our intimacy with each other. It's not just about restoring intimacy with Christ. It's about repairing our intimacy and building unity and alignment together as believers. And we're going to see that prayer ties all of these together as well. This week we're looking at prayer. We're focusing on prayer. It's the last on the list, but it's certainly not the least on the list. In fact, there's insight into uh, the, the role that prayer played in the early church clear back in chapter 1, right after Jesus goes back into heaven. We're going to look at that today. But one of the things that I really like about preaching in series and planning several series out is that I know where I'm going, and it seems like God sends stuff to me in some of the strangest places and some of the strangest ways. If I know where I'm going and I'm going to be preaching on something at some point in the future, it's like ideas come that I might not have had otherwise. And so a couple of weeks ago, I was scrolling through Facebook, kind of wasting time. Anybody ever do that? Right? And I see this image, and it says, Some people talk to you in their free time, and others free their time to talk to you. And I immediately thought about prayer. Oh, that's good, you know, because some people pray to God in their free time, and other people free time in their schedule in order to pray to God, and they approach that prayer with intentionality. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about the ways that I waste time, and I had literally been wasting time, but God interrupted me wasting time. And I had this thought. I was like, I don't know that I've ever wasted time in prayer. And as I was reflecting on that, I thought, I'm going to put that out there. And so I wrote this little sentence that says, I have never, ever in my entire life wasted a single second of time in prayer. And I put it up on this little Facebook post. And it got about three or four times as many responses or reactions as is normal. So I knew it had struck a chord. And a couple people picked up on the idea that, you know, Pastor Mark, an atheist could say the same thing. And it would have a totally different meaning, wouldn't it? And I said, yeah. And that was intentional because I had almost added the statement, I think it's impossible, to the original post. But I decided not to because I kind of liked the double entendre that, that it created. But I do think it's impossible to waste time in prayer. I don't think you can do it. And so the only way that you can make that statement, other than authentically the way I meant it, is if you have never prayed 
at all. But we can't waste time in prayer. However, we can approach prayer with intentionality. We can be devoted just as the early church was devoted to prayer. And it doesn't just say that a few of them were. It doesn't just say that there, there was a prayer ministry that represented 5 to 10% of the gathering, and those people met together in prayer. It said they all met together in prayer. And that leads us to our bottom line today. Our bottom line is another Francis Chan quote, and I might have tipped my hat a little bit. I read a book by Francis Chan, and it really got me stirred up, and I searched the scriptures like, you know what? He's right. And, uh, and he said this. He said, if prayer isn't vital to your church, then your church isn't too vital. And I wanted to add a probably. You know, I would say if, if prayer isn't vital to your church, then your church probably isn't too vital. But Francis Chan is known for not pulling punches, and uh, I think he's absolutely right. And I would tell you that I believe prayer is absolutely vital to Linwood Wesleyan Church. And I don't think anybody would argue with me, but I think there's a second layer to what he's saying here. I think he's saying that if prayer isn't vital to the majority of the people that call your church their church, then your church may not be as vital as God wants it to be. And I know for a fact that prayer is not vital to every person here. The, the statistics are there. The statistics are somewhat alarming about the number of people who call themselves Christian and are regularly associated with a Christian fellowship that pray more than 15 minutes a day. It's, it's not the majority, okay? And so we're missing out on power and we're missing out on provision and we're missing out on protection that God longs for us to have because we are not united and aligned in prayer together. And so I want to encourage you with this message today to move beyond just our church because I know I'm the pastor and I'm passionate about this church and many of you are passionate about this church as well. But I think you can make the same statement about your life. If prayer is not vital not essential to your life, then your life may not be as vital as it could be. It may not have the vitality, the passion, the purpose, the the protection and the provision that it would have if prayer played a vital role in your daily life. Or you could substitute the word family for church. If prayer is not a vital part of your family, then your family probably isn't too vital. Prayer plays an essential role role in our lives. And when we push it to the sidelines, we miss out. So I want to start with Acts chapter 1 verse 14. You can turn over there. We're going to be in Acts for the first half of the message here, and then we'll move into one of the letters of Paul as well. Um, But Acts chapter 1 verse 14, the setting here is Jesus has just told them you're going to receive power, go back into Jerusalem, and wait until you receive power from on high, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the utter ends of the earth. And then he goes up into heaven. And they kind of look at each other for a second and say, what do we do? They say, I think we go back to Jerusalem. I think he just said, go back to Jerusalem and wait. And so they did what they were told. They went back to Jerusalem and they waited. And we're told that they all joined together constantly in prayer. They list the 11 disciples. They say they were all joined together constantly in prayer. They didn't form a little prayer team and say, okay, you four pray and we'll go do other things. They were all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So their, their fellowship grew a little bit. They were all joined together in prayer. This is pre-Pentecost. 
But I think it's significant that up until Pentecost and then after Pentecost, they were devoted to prayer. They were praying constantly together. They were joined together. They were unified in their prayer, and they were aligned in their prayer with each other and with God. And I'm passionate about gathering together in prayer. I think we should all pray alone when, when we're in our private moments with God and when we're setting aside time for God. But I think we should be intentional as a church, as a body of believers, in coming together in prayer. For a long, long time, Linwood Wesleyan Church has had the second Sunday of the month at 9.30 in the prayer chapel as a time to come together and to pray. And I've looked forward to the second Sunday of the month ever since I got here and found out that that time was available. And I love going to that time and hearing people pray. There's something about hearing how others interact with God through prayer that is, is special to me. And the idea of praying together and voicing prayers together, interceding on behalf of others together. And so we started to talk in the prayer ministry, how can we make this available to more people? Because some people were having to choose between a Bible study and coming to the prayer meeting. If they're involved in a regular Bible study that meets from 9 to 10, then they're either going to have to leave that or sometimes classes would come in, which was wonderful, and we wanted to facilitate more opportunities. So we've actually created four different times throughout the month for people to gather together and pray. On the first Sunday of the month, it's at 8.30. On the second Sunday of the month, it's at 9.30 in the normal time. On the third Sunday of the month, it's at 10 o'clock. So if you're not super extroverted and you don't like to be out there when everybody's out there talking and you just want to get away to a quiet place and pray, then you can go to the chapel at 10 o'clock on the third Sunday of the month and there'll be people in there praying together. And nobody's going to force you to pray out loud. It's not like you all go around and take turns. It's just a, a time to come together. You can sit and listen. You can voice a prayer. You can share a prayer request quickly. But these, there's also a prayer guide that we make it so it, it, you know what, what some ideas is that you could pray for. These are available in the chapel all the time. And then on the fourth Sunday of the month, you can pray at 1130 following the service. So whatever your schedule is, if you're perpetually late to church, you can still pray together with people on the fourth Sunday of the month because you're already here. You made it. All right? And I can tell you that there is nothing that would make me happier than to have to move that out of the chapel because the chapel's too small for the prayer gatherings. We can, get, we can keep about 30, 40 people in there. And I would love to have hundreds of people a month going through that chapel in these prayer gatherings. I want to challenge you. And if you don't respond to challenges, maybe you respond to dares. I dare you to make it a priority once a month to be in one of those gatherings. Every single person. There's at least 100 people in here. We ought to have 25 people average in those gatherings. I want to encourage you to be there once a month until it becomes a habit, until it becomes something where you're like, you know what, I think I could come twice a month. And if you don't work, if Sunday doesn't work out for you or you miss your Sunday, Loie Olson opens up the prayer room on Wednesdays at noon in the chapel. And you could come on Wednesday over your lunch hour, take a little bit longer. Maybe you're retired and you could come in on Wednesdays and, and you could pray with people. Because here's the deal. Yes, Linwood has a prayer ministry, and there's a group of people that are intercessors, and they communicate with each other, but Linwood also has a prayer ministry, just like Michael said, that you're the choir today. Well, you're also the prayer ministry of Linwood Wesleyan Church, and Linwood will accomplish what it is going to accomplish largely on the basis of your prayers for this church, and your prayers for the people in this church, and your prayers for the effectiveness of this church in accomplishing its mission to reach people for Christ and give them a place to belong and help them grow in their faith. We need your prayers. We need you engaged in prayer. We need you gathering together in prayer. So that's one way are the prayer gatherings on 
Sundays and on Wednesday. There's another way coming up, March 15th and 16th. We're going to have a 24 hours of prayer. And I know that this has been done here before, and hopefully it's going to be done often in the future. But we're going to start on March 15th at 5 p.m. We're going to pray for 24 consecutive hours. We're going to ask you to sign up for an hour. But we put it in 15-minute time slots in case an hour is just the last thing you think you could handle. I know every single person could handle 15 minutes of prayer. You could come in on the way to work or the way home from work, or you could come in to and from something. I want every single person that calls Linwood their church home to come for at least 15 minutes and pray. And if you can pray longer, pray longer. If you can do an hour, do an hour. If you can do two, do two. If you can do an hour on Friday and an hour on Saturday or two hours on each day, there's no limit. We've got, we've got a sign up out there. We want to make sure that every single slot has at least one person so that there's 24 hours of constant prayer in this room. So I want to challenge you and encourage you and dare you, if that's your flavor, to sign up for one of those times and to be here. We'll provide you with resources. We'll provide you with prayer guides, prayer helps, with ideas for how. I remember the first time I signed up for an hour at one of the churches that I was attending when I was new in my faith. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do for an hour. I've never prayed for an hour in my life. I might not have prayed for an hour in the last month if you scrape it all together. But I showed up and I prayed and I read scripture and I walked around a little bit and there were different things that you can do to to. Stay in an attitude and posture of prayer for that amount of time. So I'm encouraging you. There's a sign-up right as you leave. If you're signing up for multiple, just put it down and, and then stand it back up so people can see and can sign up for slots and time slots. And if we need extra sheets, we'll get extra sheets. Just sign up, sign up, sign up. So I also want to look at a passage that gives us sort of some insight into the outcome of this devotion to prayer, this constantly meeting together to pray. And you don't have to go very far. You can just turn a few pages over in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 33. Now the setting here where we're going to pick this up is that, that Peter and John have been arrested. They've been arrested for telling people that Jesus was killed, died, and was raised again to new life. They were arrested for that. That was essentially their crime. And they were told to stop. And they were beaten and flogged. And that's kind of where we pick up here in verse 23. It's page 1697 if you have one of our pew Bibles. And uh, we're told this. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, saying, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. So saying what you said would happen has happened. The nations and the rulers and the kings and the people have conspired against you. Verse 28, they did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. This did not catch God by surprise. He didn't go, oh no, they killed him. What are we going to do? That was the part of, that was the plan from the beginning. Verse 29, I love this. Now, Lord, consider their threats and protect us from their persecution. No, that's not what it says, is it? Let's try again. Now, Lord, consider their threats and remove us from danger. That's not what it says. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. 
Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and the prayer was answered. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Love that. And all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. They all shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. That's the outcome of a a church that prays constantly. That's the outcome of a church devoted to prayer. And it's the outcome of a church that moves beyond me right now praying to you forever praying. You follow me? When I first started praying, most of my prayers were about me, and they were about right now. They were about me and the circumstances I was in. They were about me and the things that I wanted. They were about me and something right in front of me. And as I spent more time in Scripture, and I spent more time developing a relationship with God and a relationship with Christ, my prayers have moved to praying more and more about Him and about forever, more and more about His will forever. And There's nothing wrong with praying me right now prayers. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just not the best place to stop, okay? It's not the best place to stop. In fact, I was thinking about this, and I realized, you know, in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus said, this is how you ought to pray, they said, Jesus, how should we pray? He said, this is how you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It starts with you, God. It starts with eternity. It starts with his mission in the world. And then it moves on to give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It moves from you forever to me right now. And we're, we're encouraged to do both. Jesus instructed us to do both. But for a long time, I only prayed me right now. I never prayed for his will. I never prayed for things of eternity. So it makes me wonder, what are your priorities in prayer? First, we kind of talked about prayer being a priority. Now, a good question to ask is, when I do pray, what's my priority in prayer? Is it food? For a long time, most of my prayers were centered around meals. Thank you, God, for this meal. Thank you for the time that we have together. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. And we should pray those things. I'm not saying anything about that. But I am saying, eventually, we ought to move beyond. If we're truly ambassadors for Christ, if we're truly linking arms with God to accomplish his mission in the world, we're going to have to move beyond praying just for our food or just for sick people or just for the things that might trigger us to pray. And as we start to pray with intentionality and we start to pray scripture, we're going to start to pray for his will, for God's will to be done on earth in us and through us. And those are different kinds of prayer. And I think some of the reasons that we don't pray like this, even if we say it's because we don't have the time or, or we don't see the need, I think it, a lot of times it boils down to we don't recognize the power that's available to us through prayer. We don't recognize the power that is available to us through prayer. And even if we don't see immediate response to the thing that we're asking for, there's a change that's taking place inside us. C.S. Lewis said, when I pray for my enemy, he doesn't always change, but I do. 
He may not change, but I will change as I pray for him, as I pray for the situation that I'm facing in him, as I pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, then my desires start to reflect heaven's desires for me in my life more and more. As I learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then increasingly I'm going to respond in each situation that I find myself in as he would if he were me, as Jesus would if he were, if he were me. I'll start to answer the question, what would Jesus do? More and more and more with my actions, not just my internal monologue. But I think we also minimize a couple of realities, and this is one of the reasons that we don't pray this way, or that we forget to pray, or that we don't have time for prayer, or that prayer makes its way down our list of priorities. And the two reasons actually came from a devotional by Paul David Tripp, and he said this really, really well. He said, first and foremost, we live in a dramatically fallen and dysfunctional world, and we forget that. We get used to it. We get accustomed to the culture. We get accustomed to the bad news every day of people being killed, of of tragedies taking place, of natural disasters. We live in a world where things are not functioning as they were intended to, and we forget that because it's so daily. And if we're not careful, we'll start to become desensitized to the things that we see and hear and experience, which were never intended for God's people to see and hear and experience. So we forget that we live in a fallen world. And the other reason is that we forget that we have a sinful nature that lurks in our heart, that we have sinful habits from before we were, were released from them by grace, from before our sin nature was crucified with Christ. We forget that, and we respond in a way that is in line with our habits, not our new nature. And we're vulnerable to temptation from a variety of different angles. And so we have to be careful. We've got to put on our armor Because way too many Christians are rolling out of bed and walking out into the world like they're going to go down a beach with a pair of flip-flops and a pair of shorts. Not today. Obviously, nobody's going to walk out of here in a pair of flip-flops and a a pair of shorts. But you see what I'm talking about. And we're, we're told instead in Scripture to arm ourselves, to put on the full armor of God because we're going out into hostile territory. We're going out into a world that has fallen and we're going out into a culture that is increasingly hostile to Christianity and that is increasingly trying to bring us down. And yet we're kind of rolling out and if we're not putting on the armor of God, if we're not praying regularly, intentionally, praying for God's will to be done on earth in us and through us, then it's kind of like we're walking out into a war zone in a pair of flip-flops and a tank top. It's not a good idea. We've got to put on the full armor of God. So I want to close our message with Ephesians chapter 6. And you should have received this on the way in, this armor of God prayer. Now, most of you would be familiar with the armor of God, but Steve El- or John Eldridge he, he wrote sort of a prayer into this passage of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 6. And I wanted to put this in your hands, and I want to encourage you or challenge you or dare you, if I have to, to, to pray this every day for a week and see if something changes. See if things change. See if you feel more equipped, if you're able to withstand temptation, if you are able to respond with grace in difficult situations. Because I believe that this is powerful. I believe that this is a prayer that God longs to answer in your life. And so he takes Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, and he starts to embed prayers. So when you look through this, after each item in the armor of God, which is in bold, there will be a prayer that is written out in italics. So the scripture is in plain font, and the prayer that's embedded in this 
is in italics, and I want to go through this together. Because these are the words of Paul as he, as he closes what many scholars agree to be the most widely circulated letter in the early church. Now, your New Testament has the four Gospels, it's got Acts, and then it's got all these letters that are letters that Paul wrote to specific churches or to specific individuals. And most scholars agree that the book of Ephesians, the letter to the church in Ephesus, was the most widely circulated letter. And he closes it with this instruction. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. When we go through this, you're going to see that all of the armor is front-facing. There's nothing on your backside. We are not meant to retreat. We are meant to stand our ground and to advance the kingdom. And stand our ground and advance the kingdom. There's nothing protecting us when we turn tail and run. Okay? So pay attention to that. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Here's the prayer. Lord, I put on the belt of truth. I choose a lifestyle of honesty and integrity. Show me the truths I so desperately need today. Expose the lies I'm not even aware that I'm believing. Continue on. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. Yes, Lord, I wear your righteousness today against all condemnation and corruption. Because... Scripture tells us that when God looks at you, he sees Christ's righteousness. It's called the great exchange. You can read all about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a beautiful, beautiful imagery of Christ taking his righteousness, his perfect sinless perfection, and putting it on us instead. So that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see the mess that you've made. He sees Jesus Christ. It's the imputed righteousness of Christ. It's an amazing thing. So we're going to choose to put that on. Fit me with your holiness and purity. Defend me from all assaults against my heart. And with your feet, Fitted with the, gospel, with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We will choose to live for the gospel at any moment. Show me where the larger story is unfolding and keep me from being so lax that I think the most important thing today is the soap operas of this world. I love the way he writes that. The here and now is not all there is. The here and now is just a glimpse. And there is an eternal reality that is playing out in us and through us. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Here's the prayer. Jesus, I lift against every lie and every assault the confidence that you are good and that you have good in store for me. Nothing is coming today that can overcome me because you are with me. Take the helmet of salvation. Thank you, Lord, for my salvation. I receive it in a new and a fresh way from you. And I declare that nothing can separate me now from the love of Christ and the place I shall ever have in your kingdom. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. There's only one offensive weapon in the armor of God. Did you notice that? There's only one. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, which is the scriptures, which is the word of God. Holy Spirit, show me specifically today the truths of the word of God that I will need to encounter the assaults and the snares of the enemy. Bring them to mind throughout the day. And then, once you're all armored up, and you got your shield, and you got your breastplate, and you got your shoes, and you got your sword, then pray in the Spirit. 
on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Finally, Holy Spirit, I agree to walk in step with you in everything, in all prayer, as my spirit communes with you throughout the day. Imagine starting every day with that prayer and watch and see what happens. I challenge you to do that. We gave you one with your bulletin on the way in. There's also a stack out here where you can sign up for the prayer, uh, 24 hours of prayer. Take an extra one, put one in your car, put one in your office, put one in your bedroom, put one in your bathroom, put one wherever you need to put one. Take more, we'll print more off. Put one where you need to put one so that you will see it. And remember to put on your armor because it's dangerous out there because there's a whole legion of fallen angels that are seeking to trip you up and to derail you, and if they can't do that, just make you ineffective in spreading the gospel to others. So I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to respond today, to respond to the message. I always say in faith, but today I'm going to say in prayer. Respond to the message today in prayer. Zach outlined, there are a number of different ways that you can respond in prayer. You can come to the benches. The center two benches are to pray alone. The outside two benches are to pray with someone. Someone will come put a hand on your shoulder and pray with you, pray for you. The cross is available. If you want to write out a prayer, roll it up and put it on there. If you want to make an altar where you're seated, maybe you want to go sign up for the 24 hours of prayer or head down to the chapel and and pray in there for a while. There are all kinds of ways that you can respond to God's word today, that you can respond and become more devoted to prayer. Will you pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you for the power that is available to us through prayer. Thank you for the opportunity and the access that we have to you through prayer. Thank you for your word which instructs us and challenges us to deepen our devotion to prayer and our intentionality in prayer. Thank you for the opportunities that we have to pray for each other, to pray for your will to be done in us and through us. And so, Lord, we're going to close this time of looking into your word by praying as you instructed us to pray. And all God's people said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.